Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Breakfast with Lucy and Will. We are broadcasting on 855 on your AM dial or if you're listening online, 3cr.org.au. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Lucy. How are you today? Look, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It's a, it was a lovely, brisk walk into the studio this morning. That's it wasn't right. quite raining, but I think it's going to be uh, it pretty... Was it, was, it was damp. It was damp. It was damp. It was mizzle, I call it. It's like mizzle. a misty drizzle. Oh, that's a misty perfect, drizzle. Actually. It's going to get heavier. I think we are looking to get some thunderstorms here in Melbourne this morning. It's currently about 8.7. We're going to get to 12. Mm. A couple of storms, but hey... Melbourne winter, what are you going to do? Yeah, so if you are outside at the moment, just make sure you find somewhere nice and warm during the day. It will stay wet for the most part, won't it? We are bringing you some pretty exciting interviews this morning. First up, we're going to speak to Aaron Bradbrook, who is the um, curator of an exhibition in the Biennale in Ballarat on rearranging boundaries. Uh, and then after that, we'll be hearing from Jack Smith. It's an interview brought to you by Jan Bartlett, talking again about the potential impacts of the Home Affairs Super Portfolio and its impact on um, human rights and freedoms in Australia. Uh, then later on in the day, we'll be hearing some audio from uh, the Refugee Action Collective held a um, an action on Friday the 4th of August. And so we'll be hearing um, voices and audio from that protest. Eight o'clock is the segment you've all been waiting for, Alternative News, followed up at 8.10 by an interview with Philippa Ear. Philippa is the Senior Solicitor from the Consumer Action Law Centre. She's going to talk to us about the piece that was in The Age this week on misleading advertising. And to round out the show for the day, we'll be uh, talking over the phone to Paul Power, who's the CEO of Refugee, the Refugee Council of Australia. And we'll be talking about a recently released report coming from the um, RCOA called Unwanted Visitors. And it's all about the, uh, the difficulty that people find in visiting people in detention. Um, but first up, some announcements. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at by-alliance.org. 3CR are selling kafir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. 
These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Pressure MC from the Hilltop Hoods. Hey, what's up? This is Safa from the Hilltop Hoods. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on your dial. Support community radio and subscribe now. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. We are now bringing you the last in a series of interviews on the Ballarat International Photo Biennale. It's a really special event that brings 100 photography exhibitions to Ballarat over 30 days in August and September. A couple of weeks ago, we had the artistic director, Fiona Sleet, on the show. And then last week, we spoke with Jessica Clark, the curator of Tell, an exhibition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists. From unique Australian stories, we're now looking further afield to the rest of the globe. Aaron Bradbrook is here to talk to us about the show he curated, Rearranging Boundaries, which is an exhibition that acknowledges the widespread role of the media and its focus on stories that generate the greatest attention, war, gender oppression and migration. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, Aaron, welcome to the oh, show. Sorry. <laughs> How are you? How are you? I'm very well. Um, we were hoping that you could share a bit um, about the selection <clears throat> process for the exhibition with us. What were you looking for? Yeah, so... Um it was very um, specific in terms of the photographers I was looking at. So um, they all, for example, e- each photographer had to be uh, living and working predominantly in the place of which they were have, had originated from. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we're, um, within the show, we're working with five different photographers from around the world. Um, and, for example, Zanelli Maholi was born and had lived in her whole life in South Africa and worked her whole life in South Africa. And, and that's sort of the common thread under under each artist and they all tackle and seek to overcome issues or <clears throat> um, show the way they deal with issues within their own country. Um, so it's sort of taking that perspective um, away from sort of a dominant Western eyes view and looking from from within, sort of from like a ground up level of what's actually going on, which is a sort of a rare opportunity you get um, especially when audiences, you know, that West, let's use Western, Western as a concept, you know, when audiences are, assume, like, you know, used to Western media, you sort of very rarely get this notion of, of 
what's going on from a from an insider local's perspective. So that was sort of the the guys was looking at which artists are, are making work in in these particular areas and. Yeah, so that was sort of the, the, the starting point. We have this tendency in Western media to domesticate stories. So to try and um, help people connect with a story, we tell it from our own perspective. We either use correspondence from our own countries or we relate it to something that's happening in our own country rather than hearing the voices of people who are actually going through that experience. Yeah, that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly right. Um, and that, and that's one of the things which was dr- heavily driving the show is because that, that sort of, you know, westernized voice can often be, can be quite dangerous in terms of building and these, these narratives, these sort of these cultural narratives or these, these stereotypes which may not be entirely untrue or they just might be a construction. A construction, or just not the full story. Mm. And there's a brilliant um, quote which a Nigerian author, um, uh, Shimamanda Adichie, and she and she sort of says, but with with I can't remember the quote exactly, but it was one of the driving forces behind the show. And she sort of talks about the stereotype and says it's not it's not the fact that it's not untrue, it's just not the whole story. And when you're given a thing, and that's what this domestic domesticity that you were just talking about, I think, often just keeps repeating the same narrative from a Western viewpoint without actually giving or allowing any political histories or social histories or any of these constructs that exist already within the country to even exist. It just kind of makes them invisible and tells you this narrative. So can you, can you tell us about some of the individual artists that people will see and their work so that those the narratives that they are, they are sharing from their perspective? Yeah, for sure. So... So we'll start with Yanani Maholi. So as I mentioned before, she's a South African photographer slash uh, visual activist. Um, and her she's been working for a long time within the LGBTI community. So she herself is part of that community. Um, and within South Africa, they've got an incredibly progressive constitution, um, one of the most progressive constitutions you know, globally in terms of gender equality, human rights and what the country is trying to achieve. But on the ground, there's a serious disconnect. So there's a there's still, you know, heinous crimes towards the LGBTI community um, that exist on these stereotypes of sort of a Christian conservative viewpoint. So Zanelli's work is about, she, her intended goal is to rewrite the history of the LGBTI community within South Africa. So... She takes these incredible portraits of people within within that identifying with, within this community, um, and she's sort of your your. Um, she, I mean, she two years ago she showed some of this work at the Venice Biennale, so she's shown it documented. So she's she's doing very extremely acclaimed global um, photographer and visual activist, and achieving really huge steps in, in in achieving the goal she wants to achieve. And then we've got Tanya Habjulka, who's a Jordanian um, photographer who is married to a Palestinian lawyer, and, her, and she's based in Palestine, and her kids are Palestinian, and she and she works a lot within the Palestinian-Israeli um, uh, within that within that conflict. greater issue. Yeah. yeah, within that conflict and that greater issue. Um, but she she shows the you know the 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 
sort of the everyday, you know, she is this concept, the everyday nugget, you know, that exists within this relationship where people just having normalcy, you know, people adapting, people using the, you know, people smuggling, you know, using the tunnels to smuggle out into Egypt, but to just to, to visit, it, to go on a social occasion, you know, like Palestinians swimming in pools, you know, just for a split second, just to have some form of freedom. And, and she just shows the everyday life, you know, not the, the constant young, angry male in conflict life, you know, that we always see. She shows the everyday, you know, the the, the male, there's, there's an incredible image of, of, a, of a male bringing home a sheep and he's just stopped on the side of the road at the end of Ramadan and he's just smoking a cigarette and the sheep is in the front seat of the car just looking at it. <laughs> and she just shows this, this everyday normalcy to some extent, you know, of what actually exists, uh, which is just not constant conflict, you know, which is, which is a really incredible um, insight and then it's like you said we do see a story but we don't see the whole story so rather than these individual humanistic experiences that we can share with people and we can um, find some kind of common ground we are just presented a war zone um, yeah. which makes it harder for us to connect and to empathize but yeah. so you called you called the exhibition rearranging boundaries what does that mean to you and so what do you hope me, it will mean to people who, who see it so yeah, great, great question. So for me, it's this this idea of rearranging the stereotype, um, and we do look a lot in the show. A lot of some of the artists are dealing with migration. So boundaries comes into it there, where you know people are starting to cross boundaries and forge these new boundaries um, in their global identity. So one of our artists is looking as a transnational migrant. Um, so and then and then the rearranging of them. Sort of comes from you know ideas like Zanelli, who's who's really wanting to rewrite these social constructs that exist in her culture, and every every um, artist just to some point is trying to rearrange or shift um, a construct that is, is challenging them as an artist and challenging the people in which they photograph, and, and trying to rearrange that and move those boundaries, you know, try, because the reality is boundaries are fluid, you know, they don't. They might pigeonhole some people, but not everyone. You know, they're not universal. So we're trying to move that universalizing concept, you know, and just sort of shift them to where they actually meet the standards of everyday people. So, um, and every issue. So that's sort of the idea. We're just, you know, playing with this, with this concept, you know, this, this notion and just moving it around. And I mean, I guess what I'm hoping to achieve is, is just to, is just to gain that that more well-rounded perspective because, I mean, I think, I mean, there's no statistic to back this up, but we're sort of seeing, it feels as though we're having this sort of this this, this rise of um, extreme nationalism, you know, with, with you know, Trump in the, in the White House and then this sort of these Muslim bans and these, this sort of this constant rhetoric of Islamophobia. I think with that, it feels like what's happening is there's just these, really strong stereotypes being ingrained and directed towards one type of person. And I think just this shift needs to be explored more. We need to start asking more questions. Um, yeah, and people see, start to see that whole story rather than what they're fed through through the Western media. How can people see the exhibition? I think you open on the 19th of August? Yes, 19th of August so at the Trade Union Hall in Ballarat. 
Um, and it's open, it's open, I believe it's open, I think it's 10 to 5 every day, Monday through Sunday. And it's free. Um, and it's free, <laughs> and yeah. free. Absolutely free. Okay. Yeah. We'll put all that information up on our website. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Have a great day. I will. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And that was a beautiful track by Emily Wuramara called Hey Love. Uh, you are currently listening to Monday Breakfast. It is 7.20 a.m. and we're about to head into an interview by Jan Bartlett from Tuesday Home Time. Uh, the most significant reform to intelligence and security arrangements in more than 40 years, the creation of a new super portfolio, the Home Affairs Ministry, has occurred. Last week we heard the question, where is the outrage? It seems to have disappeared, especially within the Liberal Party, from which many very senior ministers publicly expressed opposition to this idea. Tuesday Home Times, Jan Bartlett called up with Jack Smith, long-time human rights watchdog from Project Safecom, on the current political implications. Let's look at the push by the, the government to legislate substantial changes to make it more difficult for people yeah, to become of, citizens. It's more of the same. It is. For me as a migrant, I'm a Dutchman. I came in 1980 to Australia as a migrant, uh, fully assessed, fully approved. That only took eight, nine months. And uh, I got all the bonuses and subsidies from the government for the travel and for the moving of my property in a container to Australia. It was all subsidized by the Australian government. Never looked around. And I thought, I wonder, I'll become an Australian citizen. And it looked really hopeful and beautiful and decent during the Hawke and Keating period. I got work as a result of government funding in many areas, mainly in employment creation, assisting Aboriginal people, training Aboriginal people. I had a lot of fun. And I thought one day I'll become a citizen. And then, of course, John Howard came. He changed some of the restrictions. Well, he put a lot of restrictions into dual citizenship between the Dutch and the Australians. So I lost a lot of opportunities there suddenly because that contract with the Dutch government was signed. Um, I can no longer become a dual citizen. So I kept my Dutch citizenship. And as Howard proceeded with his uh, fanatic conservative agenda, I kind of lost interest in becoming an Australian citizen. And now, thank God, I've got a degree and a postgraduate degree because I need it if I want to pass the exam. It's now a university-level exam, almost. There will be another class to which I belong. The millions of people that do not become Australian citizens but are permanent residents. And eventually, if Dutton gets his way, he will um, affirm that they're an underclass of uh, not real Australians. So he'll put uh, the thumbscrews on uh, the permanent residents who are still um, citizens of their own home country, like me. Eventually, this group is the ultimate target of the conservative liberals. And that may happen, that over the next 10 years, we will see the thumbscrews being put onto people who live here permanently and are not Australians. What about the 7,000 that are facing deportation by the 1st of October? What's going to happen to them? I don't really know because there is a lot of really good lawyers working really hard on it. And Dutton will be found to lose a lot of court cases. What is just breaking news today, for instance, is that Dutton again lost a court case 
two bikies. He had scheduled them for deportation because they had been in jail for crimes. They were former associates of bikey gangs. And the federal court just overruled Dutton. Now, we know that Dutton, of course, has a lot of rulings against him from the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the AAT, so he kicked all those good people out and replaced them together with George Brandes with 50 new people who are dancing to his tune, hopefully, for him. But he, he cannot yet touch the federal court. If the federal court decides, Dutton, you've been an idiot, we overrule your uh, ruling, and we overturn your ruling, then Dutton is still powerless. But I'm sure he's already drafting a bill, hopefully passing the Parliament, with a bill that at any time he can ignore a federal court ruling. That's the next phase into the lawlessness of this country in the area of, of asylum seekers and refugees and criminal deportees. This is the lawlessness that Dutton, the former policeman from Queensland, wants to entrench. Um, Dutton has become an, a moron, but we will not say that because he's, of course, a minister. We cannot say that. Dutton, who will entrench even more so than ever before, because it's always immigration ministers who do that. Immigration ministers, together with the immigration department, are always want to entrench lawlessness and entrench the reach of their own power over the courts. The courts should always lose when it comes to an immigration minister. That's their position, and Dutton is doing whatever he wants to do to even entrench that. And when, it, uh, when he's in the, in, in the corner, driven in the corner, he'll blame the Labour Party or the Greens and the left-wingers. Does, this, get up. does this power that he's got now mean that Abbott's not going to get back? Oh, Abbott will not be back. No, no. It's, it's been uh, quietly agreed amongst, in conservative circles that um, Dutton will be the new Tony Abbott if it comes to that. If the conservative faction in the Liberal Party wins, and they will not, by the way, because they don't have the numbers, if they win, it will be Dutton who will be the Prime Minister. Can you imagine him going overseas and speaking with world leaders? Well, yeah, <laughs> we've had experience now. We've seen Donald Trump do it. It's not a good look, is it? Well, it's, it's just shocking. But coming back to my original statement, we put the idiots in charge. That's the new politics. In the new politics, conservatives cannot, cannot be on the side of the people and of the people movements. So they want to entrench their power. And they can only do that when they put the idiots in charge, because their philosophy is dead. We've been talking about courts just recently. There's the recent federal court ruling in WA recognising an exclusive natal title claim in that state over the rich Pilbara, and that's upset Mr Of course it upset him, because in the beginning of this court case, he made sure he divided the Aboriginal community and he made sure that he supported a little split of um, native title claimants group that were split off from the big group. He was, of course, discovering that those, that split off group was on his side. He ran the whole thing with that small split off group to get his way. 
And now what's feared is that the court case has decided, well, it is a split-off group, but um, we take the whole group, not just a split-off group, and guess what? Here's the outcome of the native title case. It's a major case, and what is more, now has to cough up conversation. And, of course, he will um, try to appeal, but he will be found wanting because he will not be successful in that appeal. So it's actually quite simple, but of course he wants to paint himself as the great benefactor who fights slavery around the world, but of course his attitude towards Aboriginal people is not at all one of self-determination. He is the same paternalistic wanker that joins all the other paternalistic wankers of the white invaders that have been putting smoke in the eyes of Aboriginal people for centuries. He is just another paternalistic standover merchant. There you go. Uh, Jack Smith, long-time human rights watchdog with analysis of the potential impact of the most significant reform to intelligence and security arrangements in more than 40 years in terms of First Nations rights, citizenship and asylum seekers. Um, you can catch more, uh, learn more about Jack Smith and his work with Project Safecom at safecom.org.au. And they're also on Twitter at PS Office. Yes, that's right, PSO Fis. Uh, and, uh, you can hear more from Jan Bartlett on Tuesday Home Time, uh, which can be heard on 3CR Tuesdays from 4pm. Oh, Arts Express is blowing its whistle at the 3CR station. It's now on a new earlier timetable, 9.30am on Thursdays instead of 10.30am. So all aboard for a journey with Valerie Fafala and Trish Posterino into alternative theatre, cabaret, festivals, comedy and arts activism and plenty of great music, Trish. Oh yeah, that's the ticket. So join us, 9.30 Thursday from July the 6th. Estás sintonizando 3CR 855 de tu dial AM. صدای ما را از رادیو 3CR 855 AM می‌شنوید. Kính thưa quý vị, đây là đài phát thanh 3CR trên làn sóng AM 855. Each week, 3CR broadcasts over 130 programs in 25 languages supporting communities and viewpoints that you just don't hear about anywhere else. Subscribe to your award-winning multilingual community radio station, 3CR, and help keep these voices on the airwaves. Call the station on 94198377. The number is again 94198377. Lady MJ Warrior with Keep On Fighting. She is a really fascinating woman. She's a singer, rapper, writer, advocate for disabled people um, from Birmingham in the UK. And she has a brain injury. She also helps to run Crip Hop Nation and MCs with Disabilities. She says Crip Hop Nation has changed her life and helped her grow as an artist and a person. She said finding like-minded creatives 
has been a massive development for her music career and enabled her to express herself and work alongside people that have the same principles. So once again, that was Keep On Fighting by Lady MJ Warrior. It is currently 7.34am. You're listening to 3CR 855 on your AM dial or if you would like to listen online, we're at 3cr.org.au. The weather right now is a cool 9 degrees and the little picture on my phone is of a massive thunderclap and a lightning bolt. So you tell me what's happening outside. Sounds pretty ominous. At least the weather wasn't too bad uh, last uh, Friday the 4th of August. Uh, we're now going to listen to some audio from last Friday's Manus is Not Safe, Bring Them Here Now, Urgent Sit-In Action, which was organised by the Refugee Action Collective Victoria. It featured speakers from the Australian Greens, Tamil Refugee Council and recordings from protests being held on Manus Island. Uh, we are protesting in solidarity with the mass protests on Manus, um, also the protests that restarted on Nauru. The protests on Manus are against the cuts to power, water and sanitation in Foxtrot uh, compound, trying to force the men on Manus to East Lorengau. They don't want to go there. Uh, there have been daily attacks on refugees who have been forced there, you know, serious things with bush knives and machetes, um, people's arms cut open. There's also insufficient food for people at Lorengau, and they are resisting. Um, we are also here, um, given the extraordinary leaking of the, uh, the tape between Turnbull and Trump, um, it's quite clear that the US deal is a farce, that Turnbull has lied. Uh, he lied saying that the refugees are economic refugees. He made it clear, he said one thing to Donald Trump, one thing to the public. He said to Donald Trump that it won't be 2000, it won't be 1250, you don't have to take a single person if you don't want to that what matters is the process. In other words, he's trying to take the pressure off his government and that's the only reason for the deal. Nauru refugees in the last few days have released a statement, even before that came out, that they're at the end of their tether. They're saying nine months after the promised US deal that they are still not free. And so we are here to demand that the only safe solution, the only justice is to bring those refugees to Australia. I feel sick every time one of the government senators stands up and talks about their mistreatment of refugees because they just dismiss it. They have closed their hearts to the awfulness, to the, the torture of these people. So we need and we must and we will get those people off Nauru and Manus Island because we have to. As Australians, we know we have to. We know that our government is not representing us. What they are doing is not in our name. We have to work hard and continue to work hard and be reaching out to our fellow Australians. In particular, as we're going back to Canberra next week, I know that I'm going to be making sure that the message gets through to the members of the Labor Party who have stood, they have been silent. They, have been, they are part of this. They have stood side by side with the Turnbull government in their torture of innocent people. Shame, shame, shame. The Labor Party, who used to say that they had a light on the hill, 
the Labor Party who say they stand up for social justice and for human rights. This is their moment. They have got to acknowledge now that if they have got any semblance of commitment to human rights or social justice, they have got to join the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of Australians who are saying we have to close the camps, we've got to bring these people to Australia. Warning for listeners, the next speaker refers to violent acts. Great to see so much resistance going on on manners, but I have no words to express the outrage. We have all seen photos of a man who had wrist slashed open by a bush knife, and our government, Turnbull government, is determined to move these men to danger. These men on manners got on a board and fled because of such attacks in their home country. And our government is determined to create the same situation they fled from. Turnbull, Dutton, Turnbull's government, the messages coming from them in the last few days confirm what the refugee movement have been saying all along, having refugees on Manus and Nauru was never about saving lives. They want to see people's lives destroyed so that others waiting to flee wars will not end up in our shores pleading for help. And what we have seen so far, the sexual abusers on Nauru and Manus self-harm attempts, child abusers and other horrific conditions endured by refugees on Nauru and Manus is just the start of the war on refugees. Manus is a crime scene, Nauru is a crime scene, Australia is a crime scene. Let's not allow the criminals like Peter Dutton and Malcolm Turnbull roam around freely. Thank you.
Hello, my name is Amir Taginia and I am one of the refugees detained on Manus Island in this Australian detention prison camp. It is the fifth year of our detention on Manus Island in a very harsh and inhumane conditions. Australian government has tried for a very long time to force us to get resettled in Papua New Guinea where we did not seek asylum and were forcibly brought here and where we do not want to get resettled because we fear for our lives and our safety. Many of our friends have got beaten up, many of them have been injured badly and most of these incidents happened orchestrated by the Australian government. Now the Australian government decided to cut the power and water on us so it can be more pressure on us that we leave this place and go to the PNG community where our safety and lives are in danger. Australian government is trying its best to eliminate every single one of us in here to reach its political agenda. Australian government is using us as human shields to protect its border but not only protect its border and to reach its political agenda the Australian government is doing everything they can to eliminate us in this place and get rid of us and is trying to get the responsibility off their children there are countries willing to resettle us but the Australian government is blocking this from happening. That was audio from the Friday the 4th Minus is Not Safe. Bring them here now. Urgent sit-in action organised by the Refugee Action Collective Victoria. First off, you heard from RACVIC spokesman Chris Breen, then Green Senator Janet Rice and Aran Milvaganam from the Tamil Refugee Council. Towards the end of the piece, you heard voice recordings from Manus Island detainees Abdul Aziz and Amir Taginia, both of which were played at the protest Friday, as well as audio from a peaceful protest Saturday on Manus Island, which is ongoing, recorded by journalist Behruz Buchani. Uh, that recording was compiled by myself and uh, is first heard here on Monday Breakfast. Next up, we're going to throw to some community announcements and then uh, a, a track which we'll announce for you later. Hello, I am Mahsa Vahdat. Hi, I'm Marjan. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your radio dial. Also on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Please subscribe. Estás sintonizando 3CR. 855 
3CR broadcasts over 130 programs in 25 languages supporting communities and viewpoints that you just don't hear about anywhere else. Subscribe to your award-winning multilingual community radio station, 3CR, and help keep these voices on the airwaves. Call the station on 94198377. The number is again 94198377. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence. Keep Australia out of US wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. The conference will address the struggle against US bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, US political and military influence and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. And that was a beautiful song, Wings of Butterflies, by Adrian Thomas. Um, we'll also be putting a list of all the songs in our um, our rundown sheet at the end of the day, so you'll be able to, maybe around lunchtime, you'll be able to get all of the names of the songs if you want to check them out. On 3cr.org.au, just for anyone who isn't knowing where we're putting up all our info. That's right. Um, you're listening to Monday Breakfast. The time right now is 7.52. We're going to jump into some community announcements right now. Um, so... Like we said last week, it's a good idea to have your pens out ready because uh, we're going to jump through a whole lot of information. First of all, this isn't an event. It's just a, a call out for, for help and solidarity for food, not bombs. Um, they need your money and their van's broken down. Um, they do they do some great work. And so it's a good idea if you jump onto their possible site. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a long link. I'll put this on the website as well on 3cr.org.au on the Monday Breakfast Show. But their link is possible.com slash project slash solidarity with food, not bombs. And those words are se- separated by hyphens. Like I said, we'll be putting the link on the website. Jump on the website. That's right. That's right. Um, also, there's a um, war, peace and independence. Keep Australia out of US wars. That's the uh, the topic of the IPAN National Conference, the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network Conference that's happening from the 8th to the 10th of Melbourne, uh, 10th of September, rather. Um, there are a couple of really exciting speakers. Lydia Thorpe, Gunai Gundi Chamara woman, and also Victorian traditional owner land justice group. Um, you can also hear from uh, the National Assistant Secretary of the Maritime Union of Australia, Warren Smith, will be speaking, uh, and also... So all sorts of topics. We've got the PhD researcher on drones, Alex Edney Brown, uh, and some of the themes will be on drone warfare, of course, uh, US political and military influence over Australia, the growing threats of war. Uh, it's a public for- There's a public forum on the 8th of September at 7pm, a $10 entry, uh, and then there's a conference Saturday to Sunday, the 9th and 10th of September. Uh, it's 50 or $30 a day, um, including lunch. Um, it depends on whether you've got some form of concession. I think they also uh, offer um, lower prices for low-age workers, but you'd, you'd have to look that up on our website where we'll be putting links to all of this. And uh, another announcement that I have over here, uh, Footscray Community Arts Centre presents Fridays Are Better Than Mondays as part of the Due West Immersive Arts Festival. Uh, so 
the event Fridays are better than Mondays is going to be an immersive night of art, music and poetry. The evening is featuring an ex- exhibition viewing and artist talk with Arika Waulu, member of the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, that's war, a collective of young Aboriginal people committed to decolonisation, resistance and revival, along with performances by TAZ, Tem- uh, Temporary Autonomous Zone, uh, the Quartet, that's Core Tet, and the Hackets, as well as a spoken word showcase with Soretti Kadir, Aisha Trambas, and Piria Altraide. Uh, so you can uh, catch that performance, Fridays Are Better Than Mondays, on Friday the 11th of August, appropriately, from 6pm till late at the FCAC's performance space. Um, information on footscrayarts.com, and we'll definitely uh, put those links up on the website. Some more announcement for you. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke with Kylie Troy West from Victoria Street Drug Solutions about the heroin crisis in Richmond and what the Richmond community wanted to do about that, which was to get the trial of an injecting room. Um, they are um, staunch advocates for that and believe it will change lives like the injecting room in Sydney has done over the past 20 years. They are holding a rally for the supervised injecting room in North Richmond on the 27th of August. Um, it's People gather at 10.30am at Jonah Street in North Richmond next to the train station. At 11, there'll be a march along Victoria Street to Lennox Street, which is the, which is the heart of the, um, of the issue. And at 11.20, there'll be a minute silence to remember those who, who have lost their lives. Um, the march to save lives, the hashtag for it is you talk, we die which I guess is saying stop, stop the talking and actually see some action. Um, if you'd like to find out more, you can visit uh, Vic Street Drug Solutions. That's www.vicstreetdrugsolutions.org, um, and we can put that information up on our website. We also wanted to talk about a, a speech that's being held, The Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, WAR. It's um, being held at Footscray Community Arts Centre on the 3rd of August, which I believe means that it has already passed, unfortunately. So we've missed that one, but we'll tell you when the next one comes up. Um, we've got an exhibition that's still running, though. So while the talk's been, the exhibition is on the uh, running from the 4th of August till Saturday, 26th of August, at the Roslyn Smorgan Gallery, which is in Footscray. Um, and... Something that's uh, happening every month, uh, the Can't Stand By uh, Close the Camps protests. Um, as long as mandatory detention exists, the Australian people have a moral duty to make it as difficult and as expensive as possible to implement. We can't allow um, wealth and convenience to be more important than basic human dignity. Um, the picture on this poster is is really confronting. It's the child who was holding up a piece of paper showing how long they'd been in detention. This child in particular had been in detention for 827 days on Nauru. So um, if you want to join in the campaign to close the camps um, and not stand by, hashtag can't stand by, um, hashtag bring them here. We'll put more information up about the demonstrations on our website, but they are on the first Saturday of every month at 2pm, and we won't stop doing them until the camps are closed. That's right. We'll have all of the links on our websites, uh, and uh, so uh, just make sure you, you jump online and get your, get into some of these. It's really important that we get bodies and get people turning up to these events, uh, especially the um, 
the Victoria Street Drug Solutions-led um, sort of march. Uh, so, yeah, definitely had along. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. Hello, I am Mahsa Vahdat. Hi, I'm Marjan, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am on your radio dial. Also on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Please subscribe. Seeking Redemption with Freddie Jr. and Mumbles. On FreeCR Community Radio on Monday afternoons at 1 o'clock. Just because you've hit rock bottom and may have done a bad thing or two doesn't mean you can't turn around. Seeking Redemption, 8.55 on your AM dial. getting right down to the real nitty-gritty. It's 8am, which means it's time for Alternative News, where we take you through some of the headlines on today's papers and have a chat about how things are positioned. And then we're going to look through some of the alternative media that we um, often refer to, like New Matilda, The Guardian, a conversation to talk about what they are looking at um, this fine Melbourne morning. That's right. Uh, first of all, we're going to read a couple of things from the, the mainstream papers, just so we get a little context for what... Um, what our alternative news sources are covering and what they aren't on their uh, front pages. Front page of The Australian today. Uh, Facebook crackdown looms for public servants who criticise policy. Um, basically just talking about how the internal government is seeking to uh, bring about far-reaching restrictions on public servants, criticising the coalition on social media. Um, so this can result in things like uh, discipline, disciplinary action for liking anti-government posts or even um, emailing negative material um, to a friend from home privately. Um, so that's an interesting story um, that definitely bears a lot of reading through. Um, the, uh, the Australian Public Service Commissioner John Lloyd said last night that objectionable material was not miraculously sanitised by a public servant posting anonymously or using a pseudonym. So even anonymity will not be an excuse, um, although that's not really possible on Facebook. Uh, social media at large will um, not offer the, the shroud of cover with, um, with anonymity. There's also, of course, coverage of the... Uh, the um, the party room vote at 4pm that's going to be held to affirm the coalition election policy of a plebiscite on the issue of same-sex marriage. So uh, there's a bid now that uh, 
post that there should be a postal vote instead of a um an in person plebiscite, and they're hoping that will lock in uh, or at least block the lib rebels. In fact, that's the uh, the title of the article: postal vote bid to block lib rebels, and um. A poster vote yeah. being something that Malcolm Turnbull was actually against previously. Yeah, that's right. But it's being used now as a tactic in the uh, in the party room to try to sort of herd together all of the um, the the insurgent elements that are um, that are trying to come back and bring back um, sort of an old regime of power within the Liberal Party. Not that it makes too much difference to people people really low down on the social ladder, but you know things can get worse for. For a lot of us, um, there's also a feature by Jennifer Oriel. Mm. Peter Dutton's suggestion to hold a postal plebiscite is a reasonable democratic approach to marriage reform. That's right. A, um, a non-binding postal vote will be a reasonable um, democratic approach to marriage reform, according to Jennifer Oriel. There's also another feature. Malcolm Turnbull's opponents won't get what they want. An all-out war at the end of his prime ministership. But that's yet to be seen, isn't it? Um, then there's also a, uh, another, another exclusive um, for the Australian, Telcos balk at cheap fix for slow NBN speeds. Basically, the N- NBN speed um, could be, speed woes could be eradicated if, they, if we shifted some of the, uh, the cost of it onto the Telcos um, at $9.75 extra a month per connection, according to the Australian. Um, and instead, the, the Telcos are rallying quite hard against that. And finally... For me, we're going to switch, I'm going to switch just quickly to some actual alternative um, media sources. I'm looking at the new Matilda, and they're not talking about the postal vote or the, um, the slow NBN speeds or any of those other things. They're actually talking about uh, inequality, um, sort of the way in which Malcolm Turnbull fails to, to, to recognise that there's great inequality in this country and um, there was uh, there's reference to the leaked uh, conversation you may have heard references to that earlier in the um, the refugee action collective action last Friday the leaked tapes between Malcolm Turnbull and Donald Trump and so that's what's on the front page of the new Matilda and last um, item for me here is um, looking at the green left weekly they are focusing very heavily on um, the the crisis that's um, that's fermenting now in Nauru and Manus Island just the incredibly sort of abject situation that people are being kept there, and um, and uh, that doesn't seem to have made the the cover of the Australian. No, um, interesting. I mean, it was covered a lot over the weekend, but the release of the transcript from the conversation between Donald Trump and. Malcolm Turnbull, which just goes to show the only reason these people are being taken offshore um, and potentially resettled in the US is because of their mode of transport of getting here, because people who are fleeing persecution obviously have a choice about transport, don't they? Absolutely. I'm going to have a little meander through the age and the Fin review. So um, the top stories in both, you know, we're looking at this on the Fin Review, it's this gay marriage showdown that's at 4pm this afternoon talking about, you know, what the next steps are now that a bill has been presented. Um, the angle the age took was to talk about a poll that has gone out around um, the um, Prime Minister's, I guess, efficacy in the role um, headline being voters savage, gutless PM. And what was really interesting is that you know, same-sex marriage is, you know, it's not considered a top priority by the groups who were um, surveyed, but it did 
emerge as one of the examples of the Prime Minister's perceived inaction. Um, there's a lot of talk about the fact that he is hamstrung in the party by, by his Conservatives and by um, the centre-left, so he can't seem to make a move. Then again, on page five, um, in more detail, it talks about voters savage Malcolm Turnbull as a do-nothing do nothing PM. Um, going over to the Finn Review's discussion about the, um, as I said, a gay marriage showdown, the Liberal MPs are meeting at 4pm um, to discuss the future of the, the election commitment to the plebiscite. Um, it's pretty straightforward news reporting, but there is an opinion piece in the paper on page 38 um, from Diane Smith-Gardner. Um, she talks about, and I have to say I'm firmly in her camp, that as a heterosexual woman I've been able... Actually, I haven't been able to get married, but I have the choice of getting married. Well, my friends who are in far more committed and, my, I say, far more successful relationships than I am myself um, still have to wait for their chance. So that was on the front page of the... Fiona also talks about the CV of the Commonwealth Bank's um, accusations of money laundering and how the um, Ian Narev, who is the uh, CEO of the Fin Review, is... Um, trying to just admit that people make mistakes when it comes to money laundering and um, and potentially funding terrorism and it doesn't reflect the cultural shortcomings under his watch at the bank. So um, i leave you to draw some of your own conclusions around that as more information comes to hand. Um, and I just wanted to go back to the age because there was <clears throat> another piece in here around um, wage inequality or inequality in general and it's talking about Labor's policy that they'd be bringing in and how they are saying that um, unlike the Liberal Party's claim um, tax cuts to millionaires aren't good for everyone and that's based on new economic policy. Um, Bill Shorten basically wants to change the way the decks are stacked for the wealthy and um, you know, the fact that the there's this sense that the deck is stacked against ordinary people and he wants to bring in a new economic policy that, that addresses that. Uh, we'll then go over to a couple of pieces that were in the conversation um, and The Guardian, which are two other alternative news sources that we go to. One article that stood out to me on The Guardian was around homelessness. So if you are looking at the situation a, in Melbourne, but B, there's also um, been quite a bit of coverage of this um, supposed tent city in Martin Place in Sydney, probably because it's a very prominent area, and so it's attracting a lot of attention from the Mayor and the Premier. So we're talking about, you know, homelessness as a nuisance. We're talking about it as an eyesore, whereas this article in The Guardian talks about the stigma of homelessness and the fact that people think it is that homeless person's fault. Um, you know, these people are invisible to the people who pass them by, but each person has got this story to tell about how they fell through society's tracks. Um, it's based on a new book that explores the stories of people who who um, fell through those cracks owing to, to poverty, mental illness or disenfranchisement. And I think that is a, um, a potentially intentionally timed piece to come out to counteract the the press that's um, press coverage of of homelessness that's out at the moment. And then there's a great piece in the conversation talking about having a charter of human rights for Australia, which we don't have. Um, and our record of, of human rights is, according to Gillian Triggs, um, we are failing on a number of fronts. Um, whether we are, you know, mistreating juvenile detainees in the Northern Territory, whether we are, um, you know, abusing our elders, this idea of modern slavery, um, 
yeah, it's a it's a very interesting piece on on why we would need a charter of human rights, and that is in the conversation. If you'd like to have a read. And uh, I think it bears saying, um, we didn't mention the Herald Sun earlier, but they're way out in space with their headline, Dirty crash, Cash Grab, uh, Drug Lord's Family Pleased to Access Fortune. Um, it's a bit of an unfortunate fortunate situation where crime boss Rocco Arico um, is uh, on show in the Supreme Court and his, uh, his wife is pleading on behalf of his parents because their fortune has been uh, been confiscated due to connections to various um sort of activities of Rocco's um but yeah so no no mention on their front cover at least of um of refugees or of homelessness or of you know effe- things that are affecting the the majority or a large body of Australians and that's um that's worth worth uh thinking about when you when you consider the kind of papers people read here in Melbourne and now I uh, I believe that we're fall- fall- um, jumping to a an interview that you're, you're holding on. Um, uh, so he, here's uh, uh, time to, to jump into that interview. We'd like to welcome to the show Philippa Ear. Philippa is the Senior Solicitor with the Consumer Action Law Centre. Philippa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. The Consumer Action Law Centre advocates for a just marketplace where people have power and business plays fair. Last week, The Age newspaper published an article that drew attention to the advertising practices of an insurer, Amy, that uh, one consumer certainly thought wasn't playing fair. They received a green slip um, switch notification that actually appeared to be a bill and nearly paid it until they realised it was actually an advertisement. Are you familiar with the article, Philippa? Yeah, yeah, we have seen that article, and, and in particular the, the document that was sent um, by Amy. Um, so insurers and other businesses are not supposed to engage in what's called misleading and effective conduct. So what that essentially means um, in this context is that they're not supposed to advertise in a way that could lead people into some sort of an error. Um, What we have here is essentially a targeted advertisement that that looks really does look like an insurance renewal notice. It even has a total amount payable and a due date. It's got the look and feel of a renewal notice. Now, people are busy with work and family life. Um, English might not be their first language. And if something looks like a bill that they have to pay, I can imagine that there's a good chance that they would just go and pay it. Mm. I hate to admit it, but I fear that if I got this in the mail, I, I might just pay it myself. People don't necessarily remember who their insurance is with, especially if they have multiple providers. The person who made this complaint, Natalie Tran, is someone who I would guess is pretty comfortable with communications. She has her own blog um, and she very nearly paid um, what appeared to be this bill. And like yourself, I would be concerned if I received it that I would pay it as well. It wasn't even for her car. Um, it was actually for her partner's car. So if if people who are comfortable with communications and advertising may be blindsided by this kind of advertising, what hope do, do the more vulnerable people in the community have? So the elderly or vision impaired or people, like you said, whose first or even second language might not be English? Yeah, and I think that, that the law is designed um, to ensure that people aren't misled um, by um, advertising. Um, but unfortunately, some some advertisements seem to slip through the cracks. Mm. Um, 
I suppose the thing is, is that people do need to be aware that, um, you know, just because something looks like a bill, it might not be a bill. Um, so it's really important to sort of, um, you know, check before before you do go ahead and, and pay it or, or ring the provider to see what the deal is. I mean, if, if you think it is a bill from an, your insurer um, and, and you think perhaps, well, actually, I'm not quite sure if I'm insured with this particular provider, um, it's a good idea to, to check it out because obviously these practices are happening. Um, so Amy's response to this complaint, I think Natalie posted it on Twitter um, to start with, was that, you know, it was sort of the first complaint that they'd had of that nature, but the age dug up another complaint um, off a, a forum dating back to 2013 from someone who had exactly the same issue, received a, a notification to switch and nearly paid something that wasn't a bill. Are there other instances of this kind of misleading advertising that you have come across in your um, work with the law centre? Yeah, this um, unfortunately isn't the first time we've seen an example of insurers marketing in a way that, that might seem unfair to, to the average person um, and, and certainly we think is unfair. So daytime TV ads for funerals are another example um, of, of what can be quite unfair advertising. Um, you know, the sorts of ads that we've seen um, really do target older Australians um, because they are on during the daytime. And they often say things like the funeral insurance will only be the cost of a cup of coffee, um, which often isn't quite right um, because, you know, it might be that your particular insurance is more expensive because you're older or the premiums actually increase really steeply each year. So the cost of a cup of coffee very quickly becomes, you know, a, th a three-course meal. Um, another example um, that's getting quite a lot of airtime at the moment, at, um, at the moment for good reason, is insurance sold by car dealers, um, which has led to some really bad outcomes for people. So these add-on insurance policies can can really add thousands of dollars to people's car loans. Um, and the regulator ASIC has recently found that they can be extremely low value. Um, and in fact, car dealers themselves get more than four times the commissions compared to what people actually get back in claims for those sorts of policies. So if someone is in the process of buying a second-hand car from a dealer, they should be checking to make sure the policy they're being offered is of appropriate value? Absolutely. They should be checking their documents. And, in fact, the Consumer Action Law Centre has set up a website called demandarefund.com that actually helps people seek refunds for missold add-on insurance. So it's a really good idea to check your car documents to see whether you've bought um, add-on insurance or a used car extended warranty. And is misleading advertising limited to the insurance industry? Um, unfortunately not. Um, you know, the Consumer Action Law Centre sees examples of misleading and deceptive conduct um, in, in a number of areas um, where, where Australians might be, um, you know, buying goods and services. So it's just a case of being aware and being vigilant when you see advertising that things might not be as they appear. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, if you do see something that that doesn't seem fair, um, you can make a complaint 
to the regulator. So for insurers, that would be um, ASIC. And if you want to seek legal advice, if you think that you've um, suffered sort of some sort of loss as a result of even paying a bill, then it's a really good idea to seek legal advice. Um, and you can call the Consumer Action Law Centre um, between the hours of 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And the number is one eight hundred four double six four double seven. And we'll put the contact details for the Consumer Action Law Centre, the Demander Refund website and ASIC up on our website, 3cr.org.au. Philippa, thank you so much for joining us on the show. No worries, thank you. 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor, the New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. The Refugee Council of Australia has recently released a report titled Unwelcome Visitors, Challenges Faced by People Visiting Immigration Detention. The paper details the obstacles faced by people planning to visit detainees in immigration detention, including the sometimes arbitrary rules set by detention facilities under the Department of Immigration and Border Protection and the Australian Border Force. The report also underlines the many reasons why it's important for detainees to receive visitors. To tell us more about this report, we're joined on the phone now by uh, CEO... by Paul Power, CEO of the Refugee Council of Australia. Paul, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Um, so to start off with, I think it would be worth clarifying for those who haven't had the chance to read the p- report. The report doesn't include the Manus Island or Nauru detention camps and its findings because of the extreme difficulty in assessing them in the first place. Um, so, Paul, what was the scope of the report and who did the Refugee Council of Australia talk to in the course of researching this paper? Yeah, we're focused on detention centres in Australia because the detention centres on Nauru and Manus don't actually have um, regular community-based visitors visiting, unfortunately. Um, most of the, nearly all of the people involved in visiting people on Nauru and Manus uh, are involved in some form of uh, government contract or relationship with uh, the host government or the Australian government. But with the detention centres in Australia, there's been a long uh, tradition of volunteers from the community who have no connection at all with um, any of the detention services, uh, visiting people in detention. Yeah, and this has developed out of uh, people becoming aware of the situation of particular individuals who end up being um, uh, put in detention by the, the immigration department, visiting them and then realising that there are many others um, in the same situation who are getting no support. So of the detention centres around Australia, every one of them has... Uh, groups of volunteers um, uh, in, in different levels of um, organisation in, in terms of how formal or unstructured the volunteers are. What we've attempted to do um, with this research is actually reach out to as many of those regular volunteers as we can to get their perspectives on what it's like to visit people in detention um, and you know what, what are the issues for them as, as visitors, um, you know, what role do they see for themselves and we've also talked to people who've been in detention themselves about uh, the support they receive from visitors from the community and what's clear is that um, uh, these people who are voluntarily visiting people in detention are playing a really important role but that this role is unrecognised and it's actually also becomes much more difficult as time goes on for people to get access to the centres and in fact be able to provide the social support that uh, people in detention need. 
Absolutely, and the report, um, well, the report really clearly underlines the importance of these um, these visitors to people who are in detention. Um, but it, it also talks about the uh, the sort of the informal legal role sometimes that they they are forced to play because of various arbitrary rules. There's an uh, there's a anecdote about. Um, someone who is not a lawyer having to come in and um, give some form of legal aid to a person in detention because of the window, the 24-hour window that, are, that lawyers are required to, um, to fulfil in ap- applying to visit people in detention? Are there other ways in which sort of the arbitrary rules that are set by um, the Department of Immigration and Border Pro- Protection and the Australian Border Force have in impacting sort of justice or um, um, uh, comfort for the people who are in detention? Yeah, well, I think, that, I mean, the role that uh, community benefits um, play is not to provide legal advice but to put people in contact with um, with uh, good legal advice. And, and often with the, uh, you know, as you mentioned, with um, people's detention, there are particular periods of time, that, you know, quite short periods of time that people have to, uh, to lodge appeal. Um, and if uh, a person in detention is unaware of it, that they could you know, miss out on, on the basic legal entitlement. I think one of the, you know, uh, with immigration detention, you know, not, what's not well understood in the broader community is that um, there, there's no way for people who are detained to, to contest uh, their detention in a way where they can be sure that um, the uh, detention is to be reviewed. If if, uh, if I'm arrested for some uh, criminal offence, I have the opportunity to contest my continued uh, imprisonment you know, through the bail system. There's no such arrangement for people in immigration detention. And yet the immigration detention system is administrative detention. People haven't uh, committed uh, any... Well, they're, they're not there because of a crime that they've committed. They're there because of, you know, for administrative purposes. And people in this situation are quite unprotected. What, what uh, these community visitors do, um, you know, is they play a number of important roles. One of them is to provide uh, psychological and social support to people who are in this situation, which is obviously to the benefit of everyone, including to the benefit of the people running the detention centres. If people, you know, in the centres are psychologically more healthy, then the centres are going to function more effectively. But um, these visitors also play a really important role in an informal monitoring of, of what's going on. Um, being able to raise issues that are of concern to people in detention that might otherwise not be listened to, get them addressed where possible, um, or where uh, it's not possible for you know to get them addressed you know on the spot to actually be able to raise them and, and get them sorted out. But what we're seeing is increasing security being applied, and you know one of our the, the fundamental concern of our report and what really prompted us to uh, proceed with with the report is the increasing security at the centres is actually making this role much more difficult than it has been in the past. That's right. The, um, at the, the very beginning of the report, it's put in the context of a change in regime in the um, sort of the immigration administration from a facilitative role to an enforcement role. Um, so uh, the, the, the Refugee Council of Australia actually made a, a, a submission to the, um, to the, state inqu- uh, the Senate inquiry um, when the Australian Border Force was being set up. Um, do, do you see ways in which like, um, this uh, enforcement role has significantly reduced the ease of visiting people in detention? Oh, overwhelming feedback um, from people who've been visiting 
people for some uh, you know, people in detention for some years, yeah, but the situation is much more difficult uh, for visitors in detention and also much more difficult for people in detention than it was several years ago. Well, there's been a significant cultural change within uh, the immigration portfolio in Australia over the last uh, four years, and we're seeing you know the Department of Immigration and Citizenship being renamed as the Australian as the Department of Immigration and Border Protection and also the Australian Border Force created to work um, alongside the department on these matters. So, I mean, in that, the, the name change is um, has actually been reflected by a change of attitude um, you know, within the management of, uh, the, of the detention uh, system um, to, towards one which uh, has focused very much on, on the security of the detention centres there's uh, also been a, a bit of a change in, in the population of uh, detention centres with more people, um, you know, with the threshold for people, for foreign nationals who've committed crimes to be brought into detention, you know, actually be removed from Australia and people be put into detention while they're going through the process of removal. So there, there are more people who've come out of the prison system in the detention centres than there were several years ago. So there has been a change and there, there is a need as, as a result of that for... Uh, tighter security or, or, or different forms of management um, of the centres. But what we're seeing and what the uh, community visitors are reporting um, is that this change has been completely overbearing and that the the way in which uh, security is being enforced um, you know, is quite, it's quite inappropriate levels and a whole lot of arbitrary rules are being applied uh, in situations where, uh, you know, it, it's not only are the arbitrary rules not necessary, but they're actually counterproductive in terms of the Absolutely. Uh, the, the report makes a number of uh, recommendations, unfortunately, but we won't have time to, to go through all of them today. And so we'll be making a link to our website where you can read more about the Refugee Council of Australia's paper, Unwanted Visitors. Uh, thank you so much, Paul, for coming on air today. No problem at all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you are listening to Monday Breakfast. The time is 8.28 right now, and uh, we're just going to wrap up the show. So yeah, today. That's right. We're just about out of here. Today, we, uh, we were just listening to Paul Power, CEO of the Refugee Council of Australia. We were talking about the Unwanted Visitors Report. We'll be linking, uh, putting a link on our website at 3cr.org.au to the full, uh, to the full report, just so you can leave through. It does, it has actually really interesting reading. And earlier, what did we have, Lucy? We had we had a pretty action-packed show today. Um, we spoke with before Paul Philippa Ear, who is the senior solicitor from the Consumer Action Law Centre. She came in to speak to us about misleading advertising and what your rights are. That's right. And before that, we had the alternative news segment and some community announcements, which will pop on, pop on our website. And we also had audio from the Refugee Action Collective Victoria's um, a couple of interviews um, and um, some some audio from that August 4th protest. And before that, we heard from uh, Jack Smith, interviewed by Jan Bartlett, talking about the potential impact of the Home Affairs Super Portfolio. And first up this morning at 7.05, we spoke with Aaron Bradbrook, who is the curator of Rearranging Boundaries, on at the 2017 Ballarat International Photo Biennale. That's right. And again, we'll have all of this on our website, 3cr.org.au. You were listening to Monday Breakfast, and now it's Women on the Line. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.